Well, you guys pray with me as we uh, begin this new year in the Word. Holy Spirit, we love you. And we need you. And we just announce our total dependence on you for life. Even Stephen just mentioned we, we do need our compasses smacked from time to time. And Holy Spirit, we're inviting you to do that through the Word of God uh, this morning. Jesus, you're the author of life. You're the source. And we're really asking that you'd move in such a way that in place of despair, there'd be hope. In place of fuzziness, there'd be clarity. Um, In place of um, just laziness or lethargy, there'd be action and there'd be life. Uh, Lord, we just need you. So come and be sovereign. Jesus, this is your church. You're head of it. We welcome you. King of kings, Lord of lords, be ever present with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, it's so good to see faces coming back and even some new faces. If you weren't with us last week, we talked a little bit about goal setting. And I want to encourage you uh, to, uh, what we'll do, Sarah, um, who was giving the announcements, she and I will work together this week to make the insert that we had last week that can help you do goal setting, a little sheet that we had to help you do goal setting. We'll make that available again through the, uh, through the weekly email this week. I encourage you to download it. It's just a helpful way to think about goals. And if you have any physical goals, I just realized here that the, the director of the YMCA fitness floor is here. If he was trying to come in here quietly, sorry, Andrew Walker's here. If you have physical goals, you can, yeah, hey, hey, Andrew, go see Andrew. He can help you with the physical. But today, my main uh, uh, concern this morning is on the spiritual, because what can happen is we can make spiritual goals. And then as actually David Connectly so aptly asked last week, he said, you know, okay, this whole goal setting thing is good. But what happens when come February, March, April, May, June, on to November, December, how do you keep up with those goals? Which is a great question. And I don't know if you've had that experience where you set a goal. Let's say it's a spiritual goal. You know, you decide you're going to have a massive quiet time, get up at 3 in the morning and pray until 7. And you start out and you say, here we go. And then, of course, what happens is life hits, right? Life hits. You come down off your mountaintop, and then there's fear or anxiety or just the frustrations of life. And all you're thinking about this wonderful spiritual goal that you wanted to accomplish just gets kind of blown to smithereens. I remember back in 2008 when I was really praying through, is this the woman that I should marry? I did my monastery thing, and I had a great time with the Lord. And it's wonderful how in my life uh, I've had different signs happen at different times. In, in preparing for this church plant, there's a whole thunderstorm that kind of blew through the monastery, and I felt like God spoke through that. And when I was praying about Kelsey, I had a beautiful rainbow uh, show up that just gave me hope that, yes, this is a woman that I can marry, and um, this is not a theology on signs. We can talk about that later. But it was, a, it was a helpful thing. Then coming down off this wonderful kind of mountaintop experience with the Lord, um, shortly thereafter, we went to Kelsey's high school reunion. Man, talk about every insecure button getting hit at that moment. Um, you know, her former boyfriend was there, and uh, I was realizing, hey, I'm marrying someone 12 years younger than me. And, like, the, this high school reunion was with people the same age of, like, students that I could have taught previously. And so all, you know, I just got, I was, you know, just this dart of fear hit me. I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, am I doing the right thing? Have you had experiences like that, where you have your mountaintop with the Lord, and then life hits, And whether it's anxiety 
or fear or depression, all that you heard in the presence of the Lord, all that you believed during that worship song at church, you know, all of a sudden comes crumbling down. Well, what are we to do in that experience? What are we to do at those moments? How do we relate to God when things are kind of crumbling all around us? By the way, Kelsey and I just celebrated four years, and it's a rainbow all the way. Yeah. <laughs> just want to honor my wife. Yeah. The light should be on her. Really, she gets the, for not leaving me, she gets an award, honestly. <clears throat> or maybe you're just in that place of, hey, I am trying to set some goals here. I'd like as a spiritual goal to connect with God better. How do I do it? Maybe your situation is not as dramatic as uh, the one I've painted, but just, hey, how do I connect with God better? You know, when we, when we don't know how to react, when things are crazy, when we do get hit by the negative emotions, um, we often look for something to grab a hold of so that we can relate to God. Look at Jesus Christ on the cross. I mean, unbelievable. Talk about discomfort, distress, and something he had never experienced to that moment. What does he do? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And where is he quoting that from? That's from the Psalms. That's Psalm 22. The church traditionally has created handles for us to grab a hold of so that in our moments of distress or just in our plain relating with God, we have something to hold on to, something to connect with. The Catholics have the breviary. The Anglicans have the book of common prayer. In other words, a book that we can pray together. Common as in not that it's not extraordinary, but that it's what we can pray together. And guess what the breviary and the book of common prayer is full of? It's full of the Psalms. The book of common prayer, the breviary, these are just kind of new editions of the original hymn book of the people of God. The original way that God has given us to relate to him in deeply emotional times and in our regular times. And that is the Psalter. It's the Psalms. And my heart for us today is to, um, as we start the new year, to equip us with as a church with the vocabulary that can help us connect with God. Some of you feel distant from God and don't know how to get to him. I'm saying there is no better way to kickstart your relationship with God than getting into the Psalms. I guarantee that something in there will, will, have, will be a great vehicle for you to connect emotionally with God. Because we are emotional creatures. God knows that. It's why he's given us the Psalter. And when you are in those places where the negative is overwhelming, anxiety, depression, discouragement, fear, unbelief, when those things assail you, you're going to have some you can hold on to in those times. That's our heart between now and World Mandate. We just want to get versed in the Psalter. We want to get versed in the Psalms. So look with me, if you will, at Psalm 27. This Sunday, we'll look at Psalm 27. Each of the following Sundays, we'll look at some different Psalms. And what we're going to do today is I'm just going to kind of bounce forth, back and forth between kind of specifics in Psalm 27. And along the way, I'll just throw in some, some knowledge about the Psalms that can help us as we go. Sound good? Okay, I need a little feedback. Everyone there? Yes. Okay, let's do it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Psalm 27. I'm going to take the liberty, and if you would take it with me, and we're going to start at verse 7, and we'll go 7 to 14, and then we'll go back to the beginning and do 1 to 6. As always, there's a method to this madness, and I'll share it briefly. Psalm 27. Let's do verses 7, 8, and 9. We'll walk through. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. 
Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. O God, my Savior. Perhaps this goes without saying, but man, the number one place you can go or the first thing that you can do when you're in the throes of a negative experience, right? When your mountaintop experience just got translated into real life and you're getting smacked upside the head and all sides with negativity, you can go to God. And not only can you, you're welcome to go there. And you should. Let that turn into your first reflex. Look at the seven things that the psalmist, probably David, says. Look what he's asking for. He says, hear my voice. Right? We get desperate. We want to know, God, can you actually hear what I'm saying? Is my situation coverable by your grace? We often think that our specific situation isn't, is just outside of God's care or his concern. He says, be merciful to me. Oh, isn't that great? Be merciful to me, right? It's, there's a, a, a classic cry of the church. You know, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of David, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of David, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of David, give me peace. We can cry out, have mercy on me. And we say, Lord, answer me. Right? We can cry out, Lord, please actually respond to what I'm saying. What else does David say on verse 9? These seven things he asks for. He says, hear my voice, be merciful, answer me. He says, don't hide your face from me. In other words, don't be distant from me. I need intimacy with you right now. I need to know that you care. And again, I'm always just going nose to nose with my son. And even if I'm disciplining JD, I can't do it turning away from him. I can't do it in anger and kind of back of the hand. It's got to be, son, I love you. And here's what's up right now. Here's what we're dealing with. But I'm not going to turn my face from him because he needs to, he needs to see the uh, the seriousness of the situation, but you also know that I'm not withdrawing from him. I'm actually pressing into him. Discipline is pressing in. It's not, it's not moving back. And I know a lot of us with our wounds, because, you know, hey, who's a perfect parent and who's had perfect parents? Raise your hands, right? Just in our own experience as children, adult children, and then being parents, we don't always do it correctly. And I know we have different wounds, but sometimes it's our own parents that just, you know, you see in the grocery store, you see the bank, you know, when parents are just upset and bah! Kind of the, the discipline doesn't come in love, but it comes in, in, in a withdrawal of, of presence. And that's not the way God works. What else does he say? He says, don't hide your face. Don't turn your shivering away in anger, as I've just mentioned. It says, don't reject me or forsake me. Those seven requests are things that you can request of God. And you should in your place of pain or, or being overwhelmed. And I love verse 8, right? My heart says, if you seek his face, your face, O Lord. Will I seek? There's just a universal, I think there's a universal desire. Ecclesiastes confirms it, that we have eternity in our hearts. And man, it's just, it's just, I believe, a universal desire to seek the face of God. And so let, let that happen when you're in a place of, of discouragement. <clears throat> One thing I want to mention about the Psalms in general, so you can start to get, you know, there's 150 of these things, so it's a, it's a larger book. But about a third of the Psalms are like this one, that they're categorized as a lament. In other words, someone's in crisis. So, hey, if you're in crisis, one out of three, you start flipping through the Psalms, you've got a one in three chance you're going to find voice for your problem, okay? So that's good news. So about a third of them are laments. Another big category is praises. That is the other big category is ones where they've come through the difficulty and they're, they're worshiping God because of God's specific answer to a problem. And the other kind of major category is what we would officially call hymns. 
and that they're hymns, and that they're just worshiping God because of his attributes. They're worshiping God because of who he is. Sometimes that's what we need. We just need to um, worship God. Kind of my, my tagline for this morning is that the Psalms get us out and up. Right? The great thing about the Psalms is they get us out of ourselves and up towards God. And sometimes it's encountering one of these hymns, one of these Psalms that just worshiping God for his attributes that gets us out and up. And of those hymns, there's a lot of subcategories. There's ones called Songs of Zion, where they're just about, you know, God's presence in, in, in his relationship with Jerusalem. Um, other ones are um, the royal psalms, and these speak of, a, of a, the, the King David, but really that's where a lot of the messianic promises are. They come from the royal psalms, like a Psalm 45. And um, there's another group of psalms that, have to, that are probably related with the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles, where they would celebrate the king, the king of Israel, but also God's kingship. So there's a lot of subcategories. There's also a little group of ones called wisdom psalms, like Psalm 1, which we looked at a couple of falls ago, which is it's a little more, uh, it's, it's, um, a little more didactic, like it's a little more teaching in its nature. So again, as you open the psalms, again, I'm just trying to give you some good info as far as, hey, what you're, what you're likely to encounter there and where you can go. <clears throat> Let's continue. Verses 10 and 11. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Have you ever felt abandoned? Right? Do you ever feel totally alone? This is not an experience that the psalmist was without either. In fact, the indications, again, if this is written by David, which it seems to be, seems like David was kind of not his father's favorite, right? When it was time to when Samuel was coming along to see who he'd anoint as king, you know, all the other sons were lined up. Oh, yeah, and then there's David over there, you know? Maybe you feel abandoned by roommates or friends, your spouse at moments, you know, or by your own parents. You know what the great news is? The Lord will always, and he loves to receive you. The Lord receives you, even in that rejection wound, and especially in that rejection wound. The Lord always receives you. Listen to what David says, right, in verse 11. He says, teach me your way, O Lord. In other words, David's totally receiving the, the, the fatherhood of, of God here, saying, Lord, be my father, be my mother, and teach me your ways. I submit to you, you know. Be a parent to me in this, in this time. It's great. So another little tidbit I'd pull out about how we read the Psalms is, as Christians, we have something, we have a wonderful uh, advantage, and we have to be a little bit careful navigating some things in the Psalms. The advantage is we have the kind of the fullness of the revelation here. We've got Jesus really is the, uh, the sum of the whole Psalter. He is the one about whom all the praises are written, ultimately. But, so here, you know, we have this, let me unpack this a little. Here we have this great little foreshadowing. Though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Is it wonder that then the Apostle Paul, he goes forth to unpack for us what J.I. Packer, who's a great theologian at Vancouver, um, what's that, uh, Regent. Regent, he's written a book called Knowing God and tons of other books actually. But I'm thinking about in Knowing God, Packer unpacks this idea of what makes Christianity so different from every other religion is this familial relationship we get to have with God. I mean, think about you know, we were just praying for Sudan. Think about the plight of the Muslim. The Muslim, I mean, gosh, the last time I was in Morocco, I remember having this conversation with a, with a guy who was actually trying to lead us to a hammam, which is a 
kind of bath thing. It's a lot of fun. It might sound weird, but it's great. But he was leading us there, and so we got in the conversation. So, hey, so what do you think about going to heaven? And he said, well, I'm not, you know, I'm young, and so I just know that kind of like at the end of life, all my good things have to outweigh my bad things. I said, cool, so do you know if you're going there now? He's like, well, probably not now, because, you know, basically I'm aware that my bad outweighs my good. You know, he started to question, like, isn't that an awful way to live? You, know, you don't know where you're going to be. What if you died right now? That sort of thing. Every other religion is about man trying to get to God. What Paul will unpack for us, taking a clue here from the Psalms, he'll unpack for us the fact that we have the spirit of adoption, right? That's the gift we have. You've been chosen by God, okay? It's kind of like Kelsey and I are stuck with J.D. and Hannah. God's given them to us, and we're pumped about that. They're gifts from God. But I mean, God's adopted you. (laughs) He didn't just have you. He chose you. And you've been given the spirit of adoption, right? And you're loved by God. And this, and we have a father-son. We have a father-daughter relationship with God. That makes Christianity really different. My point is this, is that the Psalms will often foreshadow some of the great truths about Jesus. At the same time, you just want to be a little careful. We don't want to take everything. Your only source of theology shouldn't be the Psalms. You want to make sure that you corroborate with the rest of Scripture. Whereas there's some great messianic Psalms about Jesus. Again, Psalm 45 being one. But I would just, you know, we just always want to be cautious that the Psalms aren't our sole source of theology, but they're a great foreshadow of things to come. Amen? And this being a great one, this whole idea of God's fatherhood. Amen. Let's move on to verse 12. Remembering that the Psalms move us out and up, right? If we get a vocabulary of the Psalms, it's going to move us out of ourselves and up towards God. Here's where it really comes out. Verse 12. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. Here is where David actually finally shares what's really bothering him. There's this, you know, we'll go through the whole thing. We'll get, we'll get to verses 1 to 6 in a moment here. But here it comes out. Here's my problem. Here's my specific issue. And it seems like this psalm was probably written when David was on the run from Saul, right? The king, who at one moment would have him in his chambers playing harp. And the next minute, Saul would be throwing a spear at David. So David's on the run. And um, David's saying, hey, there's, people are lying about me, breathing out violence. And he's pouring out his heart to God. And the, man, I just want to encourage us. Please let that be a common reflex for you to pour out your heart to God. No emotion is too silly or no concern is too trivial for God not to care about it. And this is where I love what John Calvin says about the Psalms. He has this great expression, and I've shared it with you in the bulletin. He says, the Psalms are in the Psalms are the anatomy of the soul. And what he means is, in all the breadth of human emotion and experience, you can find something in the Psalms. Joy, sadness, anger, frustration. None of them are disallowed in the presence of God. See, we come to church and we think we can't be a total mess. We come to faith group, we think we can't fall apart at times. I'm not encouraging just to do that because it's what you need to do, but I am saying, let's take off some masks, okay, at church, because God can handle you taking off your mask. It's actually what he prefers. David had such a strong relationship with God because he was able to take off the mask very quickly and get with God. You do the same thing. Find out for yourself, like John Calvin did, that in the Psalms is represented the anatomy of, of the soul. In other words, every season is there. 
Eugene Peterson, who has written the message version of the Bible, as, as well as a lot of other books, he says, the, the, the great thing about the Psalms is there's, there's no other vocabulary in the Bible that's large enough, supple enough, and courageous enough to deal with all of who I am. What he means by that is it's large enough, like again, it covers the breadth of all the emotions. It's supple enough in that through all seasons of life, you can find something. Or God can speak to you through the same psalm from birth to death. I remember memorizing Psalm 23 in French for my French class as a junior in high school. The only time I ever pulled an all-nighter. I don't know about you, high school was harder than college for me. Because college, at least you only had to show up at certain times. But high school, they just fill your day. You have to be there for everything. And it's ridiculous. I remember pulling this all-nighter and memorizing. Sorry, it's just our AP system. There's something not right with the whole AP thing. Because we got 17-year-olds who don't sleep. And then we wonder Anyways, <clears throat> commentary on education aside, I was memorizing Psalm 23 in French as a junior at 3 in the morning. And I just remember thinking, God, I need you right now. Because besides the academic pressure, I was in a low place emotionally. I said, Lord, please, I really need you to lead me by these still waters. And then 20 years later, as a church pastor, different anxieties. So good that I could go back to Psalm 23. Same whatever, six verses, and God speaks something wonderful. See, the Psalms are supple enough. No matter where you're at, God can deal with you. And as Peterson said, he said, they're also courageous enough. In other words, that, that um, you know, here, David doesn't hold back what's actually going on. He has the courage uh, to share what he needs to share, and the Psalms can handle it, right? Praying the Psalms moves us out and up, moves us out of ourselves and up to God. Everyone say out. Everyone say up. Okay, Psalms moves out and up. Praise the Lord. Okay, let's look at verse 13 and 14 as we just keep going through here. Great resolve here. I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. You'll find this in many Psalms that there really is an incredible resolve that kind of we see kind of right before us. What happens, and that is as David, or the psalmist, there's different, whole, there's different authors here, but as he pours, it, pours out his heart, he does experience a resolve. And I would encourage you, in your own walking with the Lord, um, go to that point, you know, if you can. If you, if you are able, pour out your heart until you get that resolve. You know, I, I, I have felt that at times. Like most of my experience is I'm able to pour out my heart, and then having poured out my heart, I can start the day, you know. Um, given the fact that I usually have my prayer times in the morning, pray to God, get these things off my chest, and there's a little resolve, a little kick in the day. I'm confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I think of Hannah, not my daughter, but biblical Hannah in 1 Samuel, right? She was all all, uh, bound up. She's all tied up in knots inside because her rival wife was poking fun at her, and she wasn't able to conceive. Hannah was not able to conceive. So she comes to the Lord, just pours out her heart before the Lord. And the priest kind of thinks she's crazy, thinks she's drunk with wine, but she's not drunk with wine. She's just murmuring her prayers out to God. And, um, and then it says, basically, after that, she got something to eat, went on her way, and said she wasn't downcast anymore. Now, perhaps she wasn't downcast anymore because she did get a bite to eat, but I actually think, but the reason she's not downcast anymore is because she had poured out her heart before the Lord. All of her bitterness, all of her pain, she had poured it out before the Lord. You can do the same thing. And you'll get that resolve. You know, hey, I'm confident of this. I will see 
God in the land of the living. And again, now a little side note on reading the Psalms. One thing that we have to remember is that when we see phrases like this, I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, one thing we have to remember is that in that time, that is kind of starting from David's time in the 900s BC, they didn't have the same revelation that we do of heaven and hell. And so for them, for the writers of the Psalms, often justice needed to happen in this life. So I just share that to say, uh, know that, um, again, there's some, we need to read sometimes the Psalms with a little souplesse, to use the French word, with a little uh, flexibility, because um, uh, we may not all get justice in this life. You know, the psalmists are usually for asking for justice in this life, because that's what they knew. They expected God to work that way. But for some of us, some justice may not come. We live in this tension of the not yet and the uh, to come. So, And what I love about verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, wait for the Lord. David's voice kind of shifts here. Now he's saying, hey, wait for the Lord. I, you know, he may just be speaking to himself, but I kind of get the idea. He's speaking to whoever else will hear this. Wait for the Lord, be strong. And you know what Second uh, Corinthians says? In, in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, that with the comfort you've been comforted, you will comfort others. And I just, there's, that is just so true that when you work through your pain or your fear or your anxiety, when you work through it with the Lord, you will come out with authority to actually comfort others, right? Not because you got it perfectly, not because all, it's not an issue, you know, it's, the door is absolutely closed. But as you wrestle through things with God, your comfort will have weight as you want to share with others. So that's just kind of an added benefit. Praise the Lord. Amen? Okay, Psalms moves us up, then it moves us out. Moves us out and moves us up. We'll do it that way. All right, let's go back to verse 1. And um, let's see what else God's doing here. <clears throat> As the Psalms move you out and up. Okay, again, we're assuming maybe there's a fear moment here. We're talking about fear today a little bit. This is the main thing that maybe drives you to the Psalms. Look at what David says. And let me just, maybe I'll start with some of the um, general things, actually, before we get to the specific. Psalm 27 of David. Uh, let me say a few things. First, this book of Psalms is actually divided into five books. And you'll see them, like around Psalm 42, probably in your Bible it says, here's book two. You know, book three, book four, book five. And what we're looking at is, uh, although most of these were written in kind of the David time, again, 900, 900s B.C., we're looking at an already compiled hymn book. In other words, we're looking at the breviary, or we're looking at the Book of Common Prayer from the Jews, um, especially coming back from the uh, exile. In other words, there's all these kind of psalms lying around. And then as the Israelites, remember their kind of whole story, they were uh, called by God to follow him. They didn't do a good job at it. So God uh, kind of allowed them to get the full punishment for their sin, which included being hauled off to Babylon, after serving their time in Babylon, God's sending them back to Jerusalem. They're getting repatriated. and It's in that time of coming back to Jerusalem, resetting up the temple and setting up worship again, that this book of Psalms gets collected and divided into these five books. Now, why five books, you ask? Wasn't that the question that you're going to ask, Sarah? Why five books? Let me tell you. Okay. The five books correspond to the five books of the Pentateuch. Okay? In other words, God spoke first. God speaks the five books of the law. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which just for fun you can kind of think of as a, as a, as a growing up, right? Genesis is like the birth of the people of God. Exodus is like childhood. They're, they have their time in the desert, so on and so forth. You can kind of go through so that by the time you get to Deuteronomy, they're coming in adulthood. My point is this, is that five books of the law are God speaking to us, and then what the leaders of temple worship did was they created the Psalms to kind of give us voice back to answer God. And there's not much more correspondence than that. In other words, you can't go like, ooh, Psalm 23, it's in the first book, so, you know, it corresponds to Genesis. Anything like that is pretty contrived. But the idea of God giving us a vocabulary to respond back to him is very helpful. And here's how. Can I tell you how it's helpful? I'm going to tell you. All right. How it's helpful is you're crushed by fear. You come into this awful situation. You're anxious. You're depressed, right? And you're, ah, you know, you're thumbing through the Psalms saying, God, here's my heart. Let me start with Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? You can know. This is, a little, this is Eugene Peterson. Thank you, Eugene. I'll just share it with you. You can know that even though you feel like you're coming to God totally alone and like, oh, this is, I'm the one who's trying to get God's attention. You can know that before you even came to ask for God's attention, God spoke first. That he's in charge. That your situation wasn't beyond his, his uh, foreknowledge, right? Genesis 1, God's the one who spoke everything into being. He's the origin of all life. So when I'm in my anxious moment and trying to find vocabulary to talk to God, one thing that calms me down is the fact that I'm just responding, really, God's already been in charge of this whole situation. He spoke first. He spoke. I've got the five books of the law telling me that God spoke first. And I just have a little vocabulary now to help me respond. But it's all under his grace. Amen? Okay. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He's your light. He's joy. He's life. Salvation is an event. It's a person. And he is the stronghold of your life, of whom, indeed, shall you be afraid. Amen. Let's, let's keep moving on to this climax. It's such a great climax in verse 4, so let's keep going. And here in verses 2 and 3, David's just going to outline how intense it is. When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, right? He's not joking around. He's feeling pretty, pretty uh, he's pinned against the wall here. When my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. I love, again, John Calvin's a great resource on this psalm. He says this. He says, you know what? It's not that David had absolutely no fear. And again, if we take it that uh, this is probably written when David was kind of being chased down by Saul, then there probably were at times, we know, the scripture says, there are armies after him. But it's not that he had absolutely no fear. But in the fear, he had some peace because he knew that God was with him. And that's for you too. Yes. Amen. There are times when it feels like all hell is breaking loose at all levels. Work, family, personally, emotions, everything. All hell is breaking loose. The army's against you. But guess what? Whom shall I fear? The Lord's a stronghold of my life. You can take cover in the Lord. And you pray the Psalms. That's what gets you out of yourself, out of your problem, and up to God. Out and up. Praying the Psalms gets you out and up. And then get, let's get to this great climax here. Verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Oh, what I love about this is David's heart is revealed and that he's saying, one thing I ask, the one thing I'm desperate for. In other words, I'm on the run here. I've been chased out of Jerusalem because Saul's a nutcase and he is insecure and jealous about me. And so I have to be on the run. But the thing I miss the most, it's not my friends. It's not my comfortable palace. It's not my harp. It's not my horses. The thing I miss the most is being able to worship in the temple of God. Have you been there? Have you been there? I think of several different work trips that I've taken through my life or um, trips associated with work. And, um, you know, I'm a little bit more of a contemplative slash introvert anyways. But, you know, I just think, and not so much recently, not so much church trips, but in other times that, um, you know, it's required a host hotel stay. You know, and I'm rooming with someone. I'm thinking, how am I going to get time with the Lord? You know, this person's not a believer. They're going to think it's crazy if I just go into the bathroom and, you know, they're going to hear me through the door. But I'm just telling you, I've spent a lot of time at the top level in the hotel, um, in the stairwell, right? Even when it's really cold. That hotel stairwell, if you go all the way up to the top, no one's there. You know, but there'll be like cigarette butts around or whatever. It's gross up there because the hotel workers, I don't know if they hang out on the roof or whatever. But just so many times I've said, God, I need your presence so badly today. I don't, (laughs) I need your presence. So I'm going to do what it takes to get it. One thing I'm asking, Lord, is that I can seek you and just be in your presence. Isn't that wonderful? And God wants to cultivate that heart in all of us, that we just long for his presence. We long for worshiping him. Because look what the result is. We get the result in verses 5 and 6. For in the day of trouble, right? It's kind of my salvation is going to come from intimacy. Or intimacy. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle. Set me high upon the rock. And my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord, the very thing we're about to do. Isn't that great? We get intimate with Jesus, and he really does rescue. Your situation may or may not change, but he does have a rescue for you. And I I just want you to hear that today. As you pray the Psalms, he will get you out and up, out of yourself and up towards God. He will do it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let me just pray as we um, close here. And my encouragement to you as we prepare to pray and we're going to prepare to take communion together is get into the Psalms. Maybe we just take this Psalm. Take Psalm 27 and I would, you know, take a week and just use Psalm 27 to kickstart you, you know, or find a Psalm that's more where you're at emotionally, you know. If you're in crisis, again, one in three chance you'll get a good one. All right. If you're not, if you just need to worship the Lord, one in three chance you'll get one of those too. Okay. But get in there and use one. The great thing is if we all start to do this, if we all start to have a reflex of going to the Lord and having the Psalter as our vocabulary for getting with Him, we're just going to be an emotionally healthy church. And honestly, an emotionally, an emotionally healthy church is going to be more equipped to do all that God has for us, right? Because we want to see Beverly, the North Shore. We want to see the four corners of the earth transformed. And uh, this, this family's got to get healthy enough so when we go out, we can sustain what God wants to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, we love you. And thank you for the gift of the Psalms that you've handed down for the ages, a way that we can communicate to you, even in the depths of our despair, and with the ability to take off every mask. Lord, let the church be versed in the Psalms. Let us easily go to them in our times of crisis and trouble and in our times of celebration. Let us fully draw all the strength that we can from them. In these words, there's so many nuggets of hope and faith and truth. And you're just waiting for a church to mine them all 
Oh, God, give us grace to dig for the gold that's in here and, uh, and get it out. And thank you that even in our mining, though, we are yet responding to the first word that God has spoken. We're just responders, ultimately, to the great initiation that you've done by even creating us and creating this world. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.